0: Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are so excited that you're here. You picked a great weekend to come to church. We're going to kick off a series that we're calling 2020 Vision. If you're new to BC, my name is Joe, and I get to serve as one of the pastors, and I am honored that I get to kick off this series. And I want to jump right in. We're going to talk about vision today. And you might be asking yourself, like, why is vision so important? Like, why would, why would you take an entire month, four weeks of messages, and dedicate it just to vision? And I think that's a great question. And the reality is that the Bible talks about vision like early and often, from cover to cover. Vision is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's mentioned in the New Testament. And one of the scriptures that you'll hear quoted uh, so often is Proverbs 29:18. And one of the things that I love about this scripture is it's actually showing us what a world looks like without vision. It says, "Where there is no prophetic vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, they're not able to restrain themselves. And so as we embark on a new year, I just want to pose this question. Could it be that the reason that I can't stop reaching for that host is Twinkie? The the reason that I cannot stay within my budget and live within my means? The reason that I can't stop the words coming out of my mouth that I don't want to come out of my mouth? Could it be the reason that I can't restrain myself is actually rooted in a vision problem? Because where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. Now, another translation says it this way. It says, where there is no vision, people perish. So in other words, vision is really important. And we start to spiritually die and our lives begin to corrode when things get out of focus and we don't have a vision for where we're headed in our life. I like what the message interpretation says. It's the same exact scripture, Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen. Listen to this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Anybody amen that one? If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. In other words, if I can't see clearly, I can't live fully. And so the whole purpose of this series is to help us to see clearly. Now, I see quite a few people that are wearing glasses today, and if you're anything like me, I didn't always wear glasses. As a matter of fact, at one point, I remember a glorious day where I could see hundreds of yards in the distance, as clear as could be. It was a beautiful time in my life. Anybody remember those days? It was great. But but somewhere in my mid-twenties, I started to realize that my sight wasn't what it used to be. And it would happen in little ways and Then every now and then I'd be like driving on the highway and and the exit ramp. I couldn't read the sign as quickly as I used to be able to. And I'd have to wait to the very last second and then I'd veer over to exit. And and my wife, like any good wife, would say, you should go to the doctor and get a prescription for eyeglasses. And like any good husband, I would put it off. And and so I didn't wait. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't wait days or weeks. I waited years. I just kind of went through life stubbornly thinking this will all get better if I just kind of wish it away. And I I just kind of lived life out of focus. I'll never forget there was this one day where I just said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go get some glasses. And so I went to my local eye doctor. His name is Dr. Douglas. Amazing guy. Um, They attend this church here and sat in his office. Excuse me. And I looked at this chart that was very blurry. I looked through his machine and he started to tinker with the different lenses. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so he'd adjust and he said, did that make it any better? And I said, no, I can't see even worse now and see it. He said, okay, just give me a second. And then he adjusted. And one adjustment at a time, I began to see clearly my world began to come back into focus. And it was really exciting. And I had to wait that week for my prescription to come in. And I'll never forget the day when I finally got to put my glasses on for the first time, and it was like I can see clearly now. You know, and it was just—it was really fun. And it's, it's funny because like you forget what the world looks like. I walked outside, and I'm like, I didn't even remember that that plant was that color. I didn't even know that flower looked that way. I didn't even know my kids looked that. Just kidding. I just- <laughs> but it, it was just such a cool moment. And, and after that cool moment wore off, I had this thought. I thought to myself, Why did I wait so long to live my life in focus? And God just started showing me that that's what's what's gonna happen in so many people's lives through this series. Some of us, whether we meant to or not, we started out with a clear vision for our life. We started out knowing where God wanted us to go, but just because of life, we just let things get blurry and get out of focus. And all of us need a good checkup from the neck up at least once a year, right? And so consider this your annual trip to the eye doctor. We're gonna help you to see clearly. We wanna help you see 2020, in the year 2020. Now, I like the first half of this scripture. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But I especially like the second part. Listen to this. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And I don't know about you, but I want the people of Believers Church to be most blessed. I don't even want you to be just blessed. I I want your marriage to be most blessed. I want your parenting to be most blessed. I want your business to be most blessed. And the way that that happens is by getting a vision for your life. This is why at Believer's Church, we are so serious about making the vision clear and plain. We work really hard to do it. Like at each campus, you'll notice you can't walk more than like 10 or 15 feet without seeing our vision. We exist to see a city connected with God without seeing our core values. They're plastered on the walls. They're plastered on the stalls. We're kind of shameless about it. We don't have bulletins, but we'll put it in the app. We'll put it on Instagram and Facebook. And we talk about it incessantly in our dream team rallies. Why? Well, because vision leaks and we can't live off of the vision of yesteryear We have to have a vision for what God wants to do in 2020. It's important. Now, I'm just going to throw this in. If you're a business owner or you lead a nonprofit or you're a teacher or whatever it might be, if you're leading other people, God gives a really cool blueprint for how we can cast vision in our lives. It comes in this uh, prophetic book of the Bible. It's Habakkuk. And I think this is interesting. They would call prophets in the Old Testament seers. And so really what they would do is they would see the vision that God had given them. And then their task was to relay that to God's people so they could see clearly and live a full life. And so Habakkuk is hearing the vision from God. And this is God answering Habakkuk after he's asked God, what do you want me to do? So let's read this together. Habakkuk two, 2 And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. In other words, the best way to live out a vision is to make it really clear and write it all over the place. Put it everywhere you go. Make it so you can't escape it because the more you look at that vision, the more you're going to start seeing that as a reality in your life. And we'll come back to that in a little bit, but I want to take a look one verse earlier at the way that Habakkuk postures himself, the way he positions himself to hear from God. Look at this with me. It's Habakkuk chapter two, verse one get myself a drink here real quick. Let's read this together. I will keep watch. Why? To see what the Lord will say. And I like this part and how I should answer when he speaks strong words to me. I like that wording because here's what he's saying. It's one thing to have a vision. It's one thing to know why. It's another thing to know what, but it's an entirely different thing to know how. If we want to have a victory, we got to have a strategy. And so I'm even praying that for you and for us as a church, that not only would we see where God wants us to go, but we would know how to get there. That God would begin to download strategies on how you can make your marriage better, on how you could be a better parent for your kids, how you could lead a better workplace, how you could write that book, how you could do that thing that God put inside of your heart. And it's so important. And this is how we're going to begin to see clearly and live fully in this new year. And so I want to just talk today about a few things that can stand in our way of having a clear vision. Obstruct our vision, if you will. The vision problems in our life. Did you know that all of us were born with an original vision problem? It was blindness. Did you know that before we knew Jesus, every single one of us were living in blindness, I'll prove it to you. It's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan, the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. In other words, the world is living in darkness and they don't even know it. And I think all of us can remember back to a moment when we were living in darkness and we were blind and we might not have even been aware of our condition. This always reminds me of a documentary that I saw years ago. You know, one of my favorite topics to study, I'm like endlessly fascinated by it, is the, the state of North Korea. It's really fascinating to me when you start to study this. It's, it's really a dictatorship and we see them in the news so often. But one of the things that I can't get over is the fact that the people that live inside of this bubble of North Korea believe they are the most prosperous, most powerful, most enlightened place on the planet. This is what they are taught in fed They're indoctrinated with this way of thinking from the time they're little kids. But the sad reality is so different. I was watching this documentary and it was following a Chinese doctor. And one of the things that he was he was discovering is that there is an epidemic of blindness in North Korea. And the saddest part about it is that it's all preventable. Like there are millions of people that are living without their sight And typically, the main problem is cataracts that could actually be removed. And this will really tug at your heartstrings. So many of them are kids. They're seven, eight, nine years old. And if they just had the right medical attention or the right equipment or the right resources, they could actually make the problem go away. And so this doctor goes on this medical mission, North Korea. He has a medical visa, and he performs over 1,000 surgeries in one week's time. Can you imagine this? And what's incredible is you get to see this amazing moment unfold where these people who have lived blind most of their lives, some of them their entire life, in a moment they're able to see again. And they have this little waiting period after the surgery for a few days where they're bandaged. And and so you're watching as these bandages come off of their eyes for the first time. And what really struck me is these amazing people who see for the first time, they're so emotional about it but they're still blind because they walk right past the doctor, the man who, who fixed their blindness, and they walk over to this wall in this church, and they bow down to this framed picture of their supreme leader, Kim Jong-un, the man who made them blind to begin with. And I think this is such a beautiful picture of what is happening in this world. Satan is the god of this world. He's keeping people in blindness and living in darkness, and they don't even know it. I'll just show you a quick picture. I think this really will help bring the point home. This is an aerial shot of North Korea. It's a satellite image captured at night. Remember, they think they're an enlightened people. But you can see that they are the ones that are actually living in darkness. And everything around them is lit up except North Korea. And God just started showing me, man, if they could just get a higher vantage point, if they could just see from a higher perspective, they would be able to know their true condition. And I just wonder if that's what God is wanting to do in our lives. You know, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And I think God wants us to get a higher perspective this weekend at Believer's Church. Start to see things from his perspective because when we see clearly, we can start to live fully. And so I wanna just read to you this scripture and this is my prayer For this entire series, and I hope you would adopt this as your prayer as well. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I watch this happen all the time here. It's so cool to watch the lights come on. It's kind of like a light bulb moment. And people go from darkness to light and blindness to sight all the time. It's amazing. It kind of reminds me of Saul. You remember Saul in the Bible? He was persecuting God's people, persecuting Jesus' followers, and Jesus didn't like that very much. So Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded for three days. Do you remember this? Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think you could argue that Saul saw more in those three days of blindness than he had seen in an entire lifetime with his sight. And I think that's because of of this quote. Michael Todd says it so beautifully. Sight is what we see with our eyes open, but vision is what we see with our eyes closed. And I'm just praying for, for some people here at Believer's Church to get your vision back. Some of you haven't had something to wake up for in a long time. There hasn't been a fire inside in a while, and I'm just telling you, God is wanting to give you your vision back during this season at the beginning of 2020. He wants you to see clearly so you can live fully. So what I want to do is just talk about a few vision conditions, because here's what I've recognized. If Satan can't keep us blind, he'll settle for distorting our vision. He'd love to just skew our vision just a little bit, just blur it a little bit, get it out of focus so we're not living a full life. So I just want to cover a few vision conditions. These are ones that you can experience naturally, but I think they have some spiritual implications too. I'm not going to take too much time on the first few, but let's fire through them. Here's, here's one I think many of us can struggle with. I know I have in my own life. I think some of us can be spiritually nearsighted. Nearsightedness is when I can only focus on what's in front of me. I, can, I can't see beyond my own self. It's like I, I can only focus on my wants and my needs and my comfort. This is why so much of being a disciple is about getting outside of yourself and seeing the world around you. This is why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. I don't know, maybe some of us, this is one I definitely have been pretty honest about in my journey with Jesus. Maybe some of us struggle with what I call a lazy eye or a wandering eye. We'll call this lust. And it's crazy because I watched this little thing, this thing that is seemingly so small that most people can't even see with the naked eye. It takes down the mightiest men and women of God. I mean, it completely destroyed David's life. It completely destroyed Samson's life. Seems like every other week there's a new scandal that comes out from a politician or even pastor's. It's a really small thing that can make a huge difference in our life. And it's funny because Job, who did not live in a hypersexualized culture like we do, he saw the danger in this. And he actually said this to God. He said, God, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully after a younger woman. Something in him, even in that day and age, even in that culture said, I'm not messing with this thing. This can take me out. And it's funny because I find this conversation pops up in all kinds of places, even with my kids. Because it's not if we're going to be bombarded with sexuality and innuendo and perversion, it's when. It's happening all around us. It's delivered to us daily in every app we get. Most of my kids' apps we have to either buy or put on airplane mode because there's always some kind of garbage that's popping up even in the ads. On kids' apps, it will find you. And so we have to have a defense, a strategy, so we can see clearly, and so we're not dominated by this little thing that can make a big difference. And Jesus lived in a culture that was very sexualized. Like, we think perversion is bad in our society. We're on our way. We're trending in that direction. But we haven't come close to what Jesus was living in in his day and age. And he didn't lower the standard. Jesus up the standard. Jesus actually said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And so I I preach on this as much as I can because I want people to get freedom. I want people to do what God's calling them to do and live a full life. And uh, many years ago now, probably almost six years ago, I got a really cool opportunity to preach to the guys over at TCI. This is before we ever had a campus there. And I was just praying about what God wanted me to preach that week. And I kept hearing him say, I want you to preach on purity. And I was like, God, I don't know if they want want to hear me preach on purity. That's kind of an interesting topic. They don't know me. And he said, I want you to preach on purity. And so I preached this message called purity is possible. Some of y'all just need to know that. You need to hear that. Because you grew up in a household where perversion and sexual problems, they weren't just tolerated, they were celebrated. That was just the norm. And I just felt God impressing me to preach that purity is possible to a room full of guys who many of them have never seen purity modeled in the man that raised them. And it was pretty cool. One of the things that I talk about is bouncing your eyes. You know, everywhere we go, we're going to see images that we shouldn't look at, right? And so the problem isn't if you recognize an image is attractive the first time, the problem is the second look. It's what will you do with that information? How will you respond? So I always tell people I know what the floor looks like at a lot of different establishments around town. I'm pretty good at bouncing my eyes, usually at the grocery store in the checkout line or wherever it might be. I mean, this pops up everywhere. You can teach your kids to do this. When we're going through Wendy's on Western Reserve Road, there's this funny billboard. I think it's Sassy Sensations. And my kids love to point it out. And, and so we just started, we started teaching, them: just bounce your eyes, just look the other way. Uh, that We can't protect them and insulate them from the world they live in. We just have to teach them how to see it in the right way. And so I taught the guys at TCI how to bounce your eyes. And it, it really resonated because a couple weeks later, one of our leaders got back to me and they said, hey, they made a song about your message. You want to know what it was called? Bounce Your Eyes. That was literally the title. <laughs> I never got to hear this song. So if you guys want to send me a copy, maybe we can get this on the billboard chart. We'll see. We've got a hit on our hands, you know. But um, it's so important. It matters. How about this one? I think a lot of us struggle with double vision. Double vision. Now, when does double vision happen in the natural sense? It's usually when when we get blindsided, when there's trauma in our life, when we didn't see something coming. Man, I didn't see the affair coming. I didn't see the separation, the divorce coming. I didn't see cancer coming. I didn't see the behavioral problems with my kids coming, but but it came, it hit me off guard, and now my vision is blurred. Seeing double. I don't. I don't have clarity in my life. Have you ever noticed that if you don't have a vision, other people will be quick to have a vision for you? (laughs) I'll prove it to you. If you ever just get a recommendation on Facebook, you'll get five hundred different recommendations, and they'll all be to different places. Right? Like everybody is going to have something to say about your life, and if you don't have a clear vision for your life, other people are going to have a vision for you. Think about the word division. The prefix die means two. So really all that division is, is two visions. Maybe the reason we're struggling in our marriage and we're divided is because we have two visions for our money, two visions for parenting, two visions for how we're going to run the household. It's division. This is why a lot of churches struggle. Habakkuk says, write the vision, and it says, make it plain. And so, so many churches There's a vacuum of no vision. Nobody knows where to go. Nobody knows where to run. So they all run in separate directions. we got to have a clear vision. I, I hope to show you some different ways that we can do that as we round third and head home today. But let's talk about one more. This is one I think all of us struggle with from one time to another. And we'll call it farsightedness. I think some of us at times be spiritually farsighted. Now, farsighted means I can see things at a distance clearly, but I can't see what's right in front of me. Let me tell you something. The enemy would love to get you to focus on what's far away so you miss out and overlook what's right in front of you. And did you ever ever notice that everything looks better from farther away? (laughs) Everything looks better at a distance. Have you ever just been driving and you're in the lane that you picked because you just knew this lane was going to be the fastest lane? And then you start to realize this lane is not moving as fast as that lane over there. At a distance, that lane looks way better. And so you go to all this trouble to merge over into the other lane. And then by the time you get to that lane, you look at the lane that you left and that one is the one that's moving faster. It's enough to make you go crazy, right? But could this be happening in our lives spiritually? Could it be that we're in the lane where God wants us to be? We have a clear vision where God wants us to go, but we start to be discontent because this lane isn't moving at the speed we thought it should. It's not getting us where we want to go as fast as we thought. It should get us where we want to go. And so we get discontent and we hop over to this lane and we actually get out of position. We're not planted where God wants us to be planted. And it actually messes up our life. You know, I'm a pastor, so I kind of, I feel like I'm a professional people watcher. I love people. I just, I love studying people. I'm an interpersonal communications major. I love watching people interact with each other. I just, I feel kind of dead inside when I can't be around people having fun and hearing their stories. I could talk to one person. I could talk to a thousand. I just like people. And one thing I have observed about every human I have ever met is this. We all tend to want what we do not have. You ever notice this? Like, like I was, I was single once upon a time. I've been married 12 years now, but I remember the moment when I just could not wait to find my spouse. Just wanted to get married so bad. And I'll talk to single people and they're like, I would kill for a spouse. And then I'll talk to married people and they're like, I'm going to kill my spouse. Like, (laughs) y'all know what I'm talking about. People that don't have kids want kids. People that have kids are like, remember when we used to get sleep and had money? (laughs) People that work want to be retired. People that are retired want to work. It's a human tendency. We all tend to want what we do not have. We look longingly in the distance and this is how the enemy rips us off. He rips us off because we're supposed to be rooted and planted right where God placed us, but we start getting out of place and out of position because of this farsightedness problem. This can happen with where we live. I call it destination disease. Oh, if I could just live in that beautiful, amazing, sexy city over there, if I could just live in a beach town, if I could just live on the East Coast, if I could just live on the West Coast, if I could just live in Florida, then my life would be fulfilling. Then my life would be happy. And I watch people that that have an amazing church community, amazing family, amazing vision for their life, and for a $5,000 a year raise, they will move to the ends of the world, to a place that has a higher cost of living, and get out of the position of God's will for their life. And then they wake up one day and they're like, what am I doing? This didn't deliver what I thought it would. It looks so much better from further away. I, I call it, can I just pick on the valley for a second? We live in the valley, right? I call this valley view. I'm not saying any of you have ever done this. Maybe I have once or twice, but it's just the way we tend to see things. It's like the gravitational pull is to be kind of negative and pessimistic about where we live. Oh, that's just, that's just Ohio for you. And when the weather's not great, which let's face it, that's a lot. Well, that's Ohio for you. And then when the weather's actually good, We can't even be happy about that. We're like, just give it a few hours. It's Ohio. It'll change. Man, the enemy loves to get us to focus on what's far away. So we miss out on the blessings and the gifts that God's placed right in front of us. And I watch people. And at the first sign of resistance, they uproot. And I just want to ask you, this is something God started working on me in my heart years ago. What if we didn't run at the first sign of resistance? What if we actually viewed that resistance and those problems and those challenges as an incubator that could grow our faith as the breeding ground for something great? And I'm a pastor, so I'm just gonna gonna show you an observation as a pastor. I watch this happen with Christians even in their local churches. And I've had this really cool thing that's happened in the last couple of years. It's been a prayer of ours for, for decades, but I have just developed really great, close helpful relationships with all of the pastors in our community. Probably a good 10, 12 pastors that are in my generation, some, some younger, some older. We just have really good relationships. We encourage each other. We, we just recognize we're not here to compete each, with each other. We're here to complete each other. And so it's just helpful. Well, one of the things that we do is sometimes we just compare notes. We start to recognize that there's like a circuit that people run. I call it the, the BC exchange program, you know? And so that's OK. Some of you are here this weekend, and you're kind of just looking for a new place, and that's awesome. welcome. There are seasons where you have to search for, for a new soil, so to speak. But one of the things we noticed is that usually there are a few people that their struggle is every time there's a disagreement or a disappointment, an offense, fill in the blank, they uproot from really good soil over here, and they'll find another really good soil down the street, and then they plant there. But then the same thing happens. It's a different face and a different name, but same problem. And then they uproot and they come to this soil over here. And you know what I I watch is the enemy starts to rip people up because they don't grow their roots low enough to grow. Did you know you can't be planted in two places? How, How silly would it be if I was a gardener to take a really good plant that was placed in really good soil and every month I uprooted it and I took it to some other really good soil and I planted it there. And then a couple months passed and I uprooted it and I did the same thing over here. Even if it was a great plant and great soil, it would never grow. Because it wasn't able to grow roots. This is why I love this scripture found in Mark four seventeen. Listen to this. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Did you know you're never going to rise above your roots? Sometimes we have to grow down before we can grow up. And you're never going to outfruit your roots. And so if we want to live a fruitful life, we've got to be committed to allowing God to do something in the soil of our soul, beneath the surface where nobody can see it, even in difficult times. And so the pastors and I, we've just come to this point where usually when somebody came to my church in years past, I didn't even ask them where they were coming from. I just welcomed them. And I still welcome them. But usually what I do first is I say, hey, where are you coming from and how did you leave? Are you okay with your pastor? I want you to succeed. Your exit from the last place is going to determine the rest of your life. And I've just, I've, I've told people this many times. I, if I see them you know, invested in multiple different churches, as much as I love the heart behind that, that they just want as much of God as possible, what I tell them is, hey, I would rather you give 100% to that church than 50% to two. And they're not my people, they're God's people. So it's just so freeing because I really just do want them to see clearly so they can live fully. All right, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. Y'all still love me? Okay, cool. Get me started. Okay. Maybe what God is saying is, if we could get past the pain and we could weather some storms, instead of giving up, maybe we could dig down and we'd start to see a harvest. And God would bless that. I really do believe it. I watch it happen in so many people's lives. So as we, as we draw to a close today, I just want to give you two ways that you can fight these vision problems. Two things that you can do. Here's the first one. We've got to find our focus. Focus. Got to find our focus. In other words, we got to get a vision. A vision will keep you up at night, and it'll wake you up early in the morning. A vision will keep you going when nobody else can. So, what's your vision? And here's a question: After you find your vision, have you written it down? Have you said, "God, this is the direction that I'm headed"? Have you ever noticed that we walk in the direction that we look? So, what are we looking at? What's our focus? It really helps us to begin to identify that. And and I've noticed this vision will help you press past pain. It'll help you push through hard times. Jesus had a vision and Hebrews talks about it in chapter 12, verse two, listen to this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was Jesus' vision? It was us. It was the salvation of the world. That was the light at the end of the tunnel. He found his focus. So let's make this really practical. Maybe we could say it this way. For the waistline set before him, Joe endured the healthier diet. Can I get an amen in God's house? For the marriage set before him, Joe endured couples counseling. We got to find our focus. Here's the second and the final one. Some of us might need to do this. We might need to fix our focus. We might need to fix our focus. Can I tell you that each of these vision conditions that we talked about today, if we were talking to a real eye doctor, he would give you one solution. You got to look through the right lens. In other words, you got to change your perspective. Like, could it be that my lane is not my problem? Could it be the way I'm looking at my lane that is really the problem? It's not my position, it's my perspective. It's how I see what I'm looking at. I have to fix my focus. I want you to take a look at this image here. This is the same person, obviously, the same picture in every one of the images. There's just one difference, and it's perspective. It's perspective. It's just looking through a different lens in each of those images. So if we can look through the right lens, then we're going to live the life that God wants us to live. I just want to help you to do that. What what would it look like if we could start to see our world through God's perspective? Some of us just need to fix our eyes because our eyes lie. Did you know that? This is why faith is the evidence of things unseen, because we're trying to see in a different way from God's perspective. This is one verse earlier in the scripture we read about Jesus pressing towards what he saw, Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We got to look through the right lens, got to fix our focus. Let me ask you this, if you struggle with insecurity, what would it look like if you started seeing yourself the way God sees you? Let me just talk to moms for a second, because you guys are so hard on yourselves, what, what if you started saying what God says about you instead of what you see in the mirror? Moms are so good at picking themselves apart. They'll find that one thing that nobody even notices and they will talk about it incessantly, right? Moms, your daughters are watching you. They're seeing how you see yourself. And I promise you, if you don't cut it out, they're gonna start talking about themselves that way. And it's polluting their perspective and poisoning their perspective about their own life and their own body and their own image, what if you started saying what God says about you? You're the apple of his eye. He loves you. He thinks you're beautiful. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, yeah we can give it up for that. One claps, everybody claps. Come on. You clapping in Boardman? Got to fix our focus. How, how about just the way we see our city? What if we saw our city and our community the way God sees our city and our community? You remember when Philip was talking to Nathaniel about this man he met named Jesus? And he said, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And I love, I love this response from Nathaniel. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Almost like Warren. Can anything good come from Warren, Ohio? Can anything good come from Boardman? And I love Philip's response. He just gives three words in his response. He says, come and see. In other words, I have a vision. God's shown me what he wants to do. And listen, let me tell you something. God specializes in doing big things in small places. I think he actually, he he prefers it because he gets more glory that way. He loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. So I think God's just looking for a few crazy people who actually believe that God could grow a church in a shrinking community, that God could bring hope through a place called Believer's Church, that our best days are in front of us and not our worst. It's a perspective shift. It's looking through the right lens. How about married people? Like, like how about instead of looking at the other lane and saying, man, if my wife were like that, then I could do this. If my husband would just do this like he does it, then I would have a better marriage no, no, no. What if we stopped looking at the other people's grass and we said, I'm not going to look at the grass that's greener on the other side. I'm going to start watering my own grass. It's a perspective shift. It's looking through the right lens. It's fixing your focus. 2020, let's just, let's just throw this out there. I think this could be worth the price of admission today for married people. What if 2020 was the year where you stopped fighting in your marriage and you started fighting for your marriage? How would that change your life? I think that'd be pretty incredible. Let me talk to single people. All the single ladies. Oh, anyways, okay. It's weird. Okay. Young or old, single. What if we stopped looking at singleness like a sickness and we started saying, hey, singleness is a gift from God. This is an amazing season in my life where I can actually do more for God's kingdom than I will be able to when I'm busy and I'm married and I got kids. Speaking of of not seeing things clearly, um, I posted this on Facebook. I said, singleness is not a sickness a couple months ago. And one of our friends from our connect group, she read it and she got mad at me. She was sitting in her room and she's like, how could he say that? Because she didn't hear and see singleness is not a sickness. She thought I said shingles is not a sickness. (laughs) So for like a whole day, she's like, shingles is a sickness. Like she was just so bothered that everyone was liking that post. And how could you share that? And And so finally, she looked at it the right way, and she's like, oh, I get it. And for the record, I don't think shingles is not a sickness. So anyways, it's a perspective shift. It's just a change in the way we see things. So I want to just give you one challenge, okay? I've been on staff here a long time. I've been a pastor for a while. And one thing that I know doesn't typically fill up a room is prayer and fasting, Not usually the one that'll get the masses to come. But my dad and I were just talking about, what if this were the year where we just changed that? What if we started seeing that prayer was the vehicle that released God to move in the earth? What if we just started to see how powerful and potent prayer really is? And so I'm just throwing a challenge out there to you. I want to see this room packed full of people who believe in prayer, who believe that prayer moves the heart of God. I'm going to be here leading prayer in Warren on Wednesday. Pastor Graham will be there in Boardman. We're going to do things a little different this year. It's going to be really exciting, really fun. We'll have childcare. I mean, we just tried to make it as easy as possible. But I'd love for you to commit to doing that. Say, I'm going to be at all three of those prayer nights. It's Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Starts this Wednesday. Start to ask God, what would you like me to give up? What would you like me to lay down during this fast? Because I'm hungry to see what you want to show me. I want to see clearly so I can live fully in this new year. Now, have you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to give a simple invitation. If today you're hearing all this stuff about this man named Jesus, and in America we talk about Jesus often, but sometimes what we can do inadvertently is become so familiar with the name Jesus that it just gets associated with a religious requirement. It's almost just like checking the chores off the chart. It's just something I do because I have to. That's religion. but, But a relationship means I know God inside and out, and he knows me. And it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about bringing heaven into my here and now. But I just want to invite you to take the first step. So Jesus, in a world that will tell you there's all kinds of different ways To get to heaven. There's all kinds of different ways to eternity. Jesus flipped that on its head and he said, "Uh Uh-uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gate, I'm the door. It's not complicated. The gospel's simple. It's I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And when I put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ, who took my sins on the cross and became sin, he can forgive me and make me a new creation. It's the gospel. So if that's you and you're saying, man, I can't remember a moment. I'm not talking about the moment when you were baptized or becoming a member of a church. Those are all good things. But I'm just saying, what have you done with Jesus? That's the only question that will matter for all of eternity. What have you done with Jesus? Have you put him in the driver's seat? Is he calling the shots? So there's two groups of people that might want to respond to this. Maybe you prayed this prayer, but your vision has become blurred again. And it's time just to come back to the father. He's not mad at you. He loves you. And he just wants you to take a step towards him. But I think there might be some people at Boardmen at TCI right here in Warren. And you just know, man, I've never, I can't remember a moment when I said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I'm a Christian. And so there are so many that have prayed this prayer. They're gonna help us. Can you repeat this after me? And I really believe the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Can you pray this with me? Say, dear God, at every campus, thank you for the gift of salvation, the free gift that you gave me through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he took my sin, my sickness, my punishment, death on himself to give me life and hope and freedom. I won't be perfect, but every day I'm going to take a step. I am a Christ follower, a Christian in Jesus name. Amen.